0: We've been talking in these lessons these past five weeks about the misunderstood church. Things that people misunderstand about churches of Christ. How easy it is for people to misunderstand us. And our heart's desire has been to clear some things up, perhaps in our own minds and Promote a deeper faith in our own hearts for the sake of our souls. And one of the misunderstandings that is quite common is the kind of music that we have in our worship. I've often had people over the years say to me, Oh, Church of Christ, you're the folks that don't have music, aren't you? Well, that's an incorrect statement. We have music. Admittedly, when I'm leading singing, it's debatable whether it's good music or not, but we have music. We believe in music. We just don't have instrumental music. You see, there are two types of music. And there are only two types of music. There is vocal music, and there is instrumental music. God has specified in His Word for us to use vocal music, but not instrumental music, and more about that a little later. This music thing that's something that people that are first time visitors to one of our assemblies notice immediately. They walk into an assembly for the first time and they look at the front and there's no piano. There's no organ. And in fact, for most folks, it's a bit of a religious culture shock. It's not that it's anything particularly weird. It's just that the music is not what most folks are accustomed to in the 21st century. In fact, most worship services, as they're referred to, in our Christian culture of the 21st century are filled with sounds that we don't have in our assembly. Sounds that are conspicuously absent during our worship. You don't hear the sounds of a piano or an organ. Drums or guitars or keyboards or harps or bells or horns or any other instrument. They're nowhere to be heard. The musical sound that fills our services, the musical sound that bombards our first-time guest is the sound of voices. Just voices singing praises to God. Our musical praise is 100% vocal. It is a cappella. And to be sure, most people who... Encounter this for the very first time, they find it somewhat strange, weird, odd, very different. However, even though that type of, this type of musical praise, Voices only. Even though that is strange in our culture today. Would you believe that voices only actually has been the practice of most churches since the very beginning of Christianity? And when I say that, most people find that a bit hard to swallow. Well, let's start with the word acapella. What does the word acapella mean? Well, we know what that word in our world today means. It means singing without accompaniment. However, the word a cappella is actually an Italian word. And literally the word means in the chapel style or as in the chapel. So when someone says to sing a cappella, they are saying sing like in the chapel. So far as I have been able to determine, and this is what I've been able to find out, the first organ that was ever introduced into the worship of any group of people claiming to be Christian was about 670 years after Christ. And it was introduced by Pope the I. It threatened division in the Roman Catholic Church, and it was taken out. To preserve the unity of the church. Sometime later in the 800s. You'll find in the 800s a few isolated instances of the use of the organ. But vocal music only. Vocal only praise. Remained the norm until the 1300s. Now there was a 10 volume history entitled The Antiquities of the Christian Church. And the ten-volume Antiquities of the Christian Church was written in the 16th century. Here is what is in Volume 1, page 315 of that set of books. Music in churches is as ancient as the Apostles. But instrumental music, not so. For it is now generally agreed among learned men that the use of organs came into the church since the time of Thomas Aquinas in 1250. Now I want you to let that soak in. Let it soak in real good. By the time that Thomas Aquinas came along, Christians had been worshiping for over 1200 years. And one of the few practices that had remained remarkably constant over that 1,200-year period was vocal-only music. But all of that's about to change. The instruments started showing up in worship services with increasing regularity in the 1300s. Historians report that By the early 1500s, organs had become a fixture in almost every important church building in Europe. Now remember the climate of the times. All of this was happening in the Roman Catholic Church. Because at that time in the 1500s, Catholicism was the only game in town throughout most of Western Europe. Well, organs had not been a fixture in Catholic worship very long until those pesky reformers showed up. You know, we've been talking about those pesky reformers. Those men like Martin Luther and Huldrych Zwingli, John Calvin. These guys had radical ideas about reform. And so things were about to change again. Because if you're going to have a reformation, The first thing that's necessary to have a reformation is what? Something to reform. Well, just as important as having something to reform, you've got to have something to reform it too. These reformers, Luther and Zwingli and Calvin, they wanted to reform the Roman Catholic Church. And what they wanted to do was reform it to what was found on the pages of the New Testament. The Reformation movement was largely a movement to recover Bible teaching that had been lost. The objective of the Reformers was to move things closer to the simplicity and purity of New Testament times. you remember from our last lesson the name of Huldry Zwingli? Stay with me. Timothy George, former dean of Beeson Divinity School of Samford University, wrote a book entitled Theology of the Reformers. This is a quote from page 131 of that book. The Catholic authorities were shocked at the rigor with which Zwingli pursued his reforms. In 1527, the organ at the great minister was dismantled and removed, despite the fact that Zwingli was an accomplished musician who had mastered a number of instruments. Now, when it says they removed the organ to the great minister, the great minister was the name of the church in Zurich, Switzerland, that was the home base of the reforming work of Huldrych Zwingli. They dismant- Zwingli had the organ dismantled, And removed. And there are a lot of other historical perspectives of the reformers that we could cite this morning. But I'm thinking that at some point along the way you would like to eat lunch. So we'll not go into all the historical perspectives of this. I cite these just as examples. The Puritans in England and the Puritans that came to America were opposed to the use of the instrument in worship. But in the 1700s, the conviction of vocal-only praise and vocal-only music began to erode. By the late 1800s, vocal-only praise was an endangered species in American church life. But among prominent names in religious circles of the 1800s, Instrumental music was still opposed. Adam Clark wrote a wonderful set of commentaries called Clark's Commentary. Imagine that. Adam Clark has to rank as one of the most illustrious Bible commentators the world has ever known. Clark's Commentary has stood the test of time. Adam Clark was a Methodist minister. Adam Clark was a contemporary of John Wesley. Adam Clark had this to say on the use of the organ in worship. This is a direct quote from Clark's commentary. I am an old man and an old minister. And I here declare that I've never known them... Mechanical instruments productive of any good in the worship of God. And I have reason to believe that they were productive of much evil. Music as a science I esteem and admire. But instruments of music in the house of God I abominate and abhor. This is the abuse of music. And I here register my protest against all such corruption in the worship of the infinite spirit who requires his followers to worship him in spirit and in truth. Just a few sentences later in that same volume of his commentary, Adam Clark quotes John Wesley. And quoting John Wesley, he says, Wesley said, I have no objection to the organ in our chapels, provided it is neither seen nor heard. Does the name Charles Spurgeon ring a bell with you? One of the greatest preachers of the 1800s that the world ever knew. For 38 years, he filled the Metropolitan Baptist Tabernacle in London with thousands of people every Sunday. During those 38 years that Spurgeon preached there, the sound of the organ was never heard in that building. And here is what Spurgeon had to say about instruments of music in worship. This is from Spurgeon's commentary, A Treasury of David. It's a commentary on the 42nd Psalm. It's in volume 1, page 272. He says, David appears to have had a peculiarly tender remembrance of the singing of the pilgrims, and assuredly it's the most delightful part of worship and that which comes nearest to the adoration of heaven. What a degradation, what a degradation to supplant the intelligent song of the whole congregation by the theatrical prettiness of a quartet, the refined niceties of a choir... Or the blowing off of wind from inanimate bellas and pipes. We might as well pray by machinery as praise by machinery. Now that's a snapshot, but not at all an exhaustive discussion of the historical context of the instrument in the worship of God. Well, what are some of the arguments that are used in favor of instrumental music? Some folks say, well, instrumental music is a natural talent, like singing and speaking. And so, as a natural talent, it should be dedicated to God. But listen to what the Scriptures say in Ephesians 5, 19. Paul writes, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And then in Colossians 3, 16, Paul writes, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. In those passages, the Bible specified speaking. It specified singing. But nowhere does it specify the playing of instruments. Well, let's think about this idea. Well, it's a natural talent. It needs to be dedicated to God. Let's submit that to the test of logic. Because in logic, you have a major premise. You have a minor premise, and then you draw a conclusion. Anything that's natural is approved for worship. That would be your major premise. Instrumental music is a natural talent. That would be your minor premise. Therefore, instrumental music is approved for worship. That would be your conclusion. Do you really want to go there? Anything that is natural is approved for worship. That would be your major premise. Therefore, anything natural could be brought into the worship of God. I don't think we want to go there. Well, some will say, well, you can have instrumental music in the home. Why can't we have instrumental music in the church? Well, if you remember, the Corinthians were condemned by Paul in the first Corinthian letter because they had taken and perverted the Lord's Supper and made a church dinner out of the Lord's Supper. There are a lot of things we do in the home that are morally right. And good, but at the same time, they'd be wrong to do religiously. It's morally right to bathe. And I've been to Walmart and seen people I wish they were a little more moral. But it's religiously wrong to bathe as an act of worship to God. Well, Tim. They have instrumental music in heaven. And if they can have instrumental music in heaven, why can't we have instrumental music in the church? And some folks say, well, if God has it in heaven, it's His business, but as God didn't put it in the church, we don't have any right to do that. Well, that'd be true, but that misses the mark. Who told you? that they have instrumental music in heaven. Are there mechanical instruments of music in heaven? Heaven is that home of the soul. It's the place where the spirits of just men are made perfect. What could a spiritual being do with a material harp you might as well argue that there are going to be Fords and Chevrolets, Cadillacs, B&Ws in heaven. as to say that there are going to be harps and organs and guitars and instruments of music in heaven. That idea comes from a mistaken idea of the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is a book of symbols, many symbols. And it says in Revelation chapter 1, and verse 1, that those things were signified unto John. The word signify has as its root word sign. Signify means to signify. If something is signified, it's set forth in a sign. Folks, a sign cannot be a sign of itself. It points to something else. So the harp that is mentioned in Revelation must be a sign of something else. It also says in Revelation that incense was added to the prayers of the saints. Were there actual harps? And were there actual bowls of incense in heaven? Or is it a sign of something else? The book of Revelation is one of the most abused books in the entire New Testament. And an often abused passage in Revelation is chapter 14. The first three verses. And I looked. And lo, a lamb stood on the mount. On Mount Zion. And with him a hundred forty and four thousand. Having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven. As the voice of many waters. And as the voice of a great thunder. And the voice that I heard was as the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. The passage does not say, and I heard many waters, and I heard a great thunder, and I heard harpers harping with their harps. It said, the voice I heard was as the voice of a great thunder. That represents volume. And the voice I heard was as the voice of many waters. Have you ever stood beside a waterfall and listened to the perfect rhythm of the water as it cascades over the waterfall? And the voice I heard was as the voice of harpers harping with their harps, as the voice. And that represents the melody. The 144,000 redeemed from the earth were sitting around the throne of God singing a new song in the heavens. And that great mass of voices, the volume was so great it sounded like a roaring thunder. And the rhythm was so perfect that it sounded like the perfect rhythm of a falling waterfall. And the melody was so sweet it was like Harper's strumming on their hearts as the voice it's a symbol well instrumental music was used in the Old Testament well yes so was incense I don't see anybody wanting to bring lighted bowls of incense into the worship of God today So were animal sacrifices. I don't see anyone wanting to slaughter a lamb and offer it as a burnt offering. So was circumcision. I don't see anyone advocating for that as part of religion today. In fact, there was a big meeting in Acts chapter 15 at Jerusalem where the Jewish Christians were trying to bind circumcision on Gentile Christians. So you see, we have people that want to say, use the Old Testament. So we have a man come in and he's got his bowl of incense. And we say, what are you going to do with that incense? Well, the incense is for the worship. Oh no, take the incense away. We don't want the incense. And a guy comes walking down the aisle with a lamb over his shoulder. What are you doing? I want to offer a burnt offering to God. No, we can't allow that. But someone comes along, dragging a furniture dolly with an organ on it. What's that for? I want to use this like David did to worship God. Come right on in. We send the man out with David's incense. We send the man out that's got David's animal sacrifice. And welcome the one in that's bringing in David's instrument. Amos would say in Amos chapter 6, Woe unto them that invent to themselves instruments of music, as did David. The whole concept we've been talking about these past few weeks is restoration. As we seek to restore Christianity to what it was in the first century, to the simplicity of those days when Paul was... Establishing churches in Europe. Remember, in our very first lesson, we talked about this radical idea of restoration. Of restoring worship to the pattern of the first century. We have numerous examples of singing in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 30, Jesus and the disciples had eaten the Passover. And when they would sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. In Acts 16 and verse 25, you've got the prison revival where Paul and Silas are in jail in Philippi. And at midnight they prayed and sang praises to God. And the prisoners heard them. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 9, writing to the church in the capital city, Paul would say, For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing to thy name. In 1 Corinthians 14 verse 15, Paul would write, What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I'll pray with the understanding also. I'll sing with the Spirit, and I'll sing with the understanding also. Remember, at the very beginning, we said there are only two types of music. There's vocal music, and there's instrumental music. God specified vocal music. In Ephesians 5, 19, what did He say? Speaking to yourselves. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Then in Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. God specified singing. God specified vocal music. Well, how many times have you heard this? Well, he didn't say not to use it. You ever heard that? Some of you are going to go to a a restaurant today and and eat lunch. And let's say you go into a restaurant and the server comes over. I used to have said waitress, but I've got to say server now to be politically correct. But the server comes over to take your order. And you tell the server, I want chicken fried steak with cream gravy. I want mashed potatoes and fried okra. And a few minutes later, here comes your server. And your server hands you meatloaf, green beans, and french fries. And you look at your server... Quizzically, and you said, uh, I ordered chicken fried steak with cream gravy, mashed potatoes, and fried okra. You brought me meatloaf, green beans, and french fries. Well, sir, you didn't tell me not to bring you meatloaf, green beans, and french fries. You would say, or I would say, Get thee behind me, Satan. And resist the urge to take that plate of meatloaf and throw it right in the server's face. When you go into a restaurant, you go to McDonald's, you go to Whataburger, wherever you go. When you tell the person, I want chicken fried steak, mashed potatoes, and fried okra. It doesn't matter if they've got a thousand other things on the menu. By ordering that, you have automatically excluded Everything else on the menu. God said singing and making melody in your heart. When God specified singing, God automatically excluded every other type of music known to man, and that's only one. The grammatical law of exclusion excludes all others. And the only place we don't obey that law or follow that law or adhere to that law is when it comes to instrumental music and in the worship of God. When we make Jesus Christ the Lord and Master of our lives, we're going to want to do His things His way. And we're going to want to do things His way without arguing with Him. All we're seeking to do We're not seeking to be disagreeable, hard to get along with, or cantankerous. All we want to do is restore first century Christianity to the 21st century. All we want to do is try to do things to the very best of our ability, the way Paul and Timothy and Titus and those men of the first century did as they worshipped God. Have we arrived? Oh, no, not at all. Restoring New Testament Christianity is a journey. It's a marathon. But we've got to begin somewhere. And the beginning point is when we make Jesus the Lord and Master of our lives. And you see, if Jesus Christ is not Lord and Master of all of your life, He's not Lord and Master at all in your life. We make Him Lord of our life when we come to Him in simple trusting faith and repent of our sins, confess His name, and are buried in the waters of baptism. And we continue to make Him Lord of all of our lives as we live according to His precepts. I don't know the needs of your life today, but if you need to make changes for Jesus to be Lord and Master of all of your life, now the time to do it as we stand and while we sing.